Hello, and welcome to the Cold Pizza Party Podcast. My name is Lubitsa. I'm Adam. And this is a podcast where we normally talk about leftist politics and trashy TV. Mm-hmm. But since it's the end of the year, like all good end of the year podcasters, we're mixing up our format a little. And we're going to do a do... radio play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there have been a lot of those. Like uh, Daily Zeitgeist did Santa mm-hmm. University and Trapo did there. They did like two. Anyway, uh, we're going to do recommendations. An entire episode of just recommendations from things we liked this year, learned about this year. They're mm-hmm. not necessarily like brand new this year. Yeah, probably most of them are. Yeah, but are not. Oh, oh okay. I don't know. I think a lot of them. Well, aren't. I don't know what you're going to recommend, and you don't know. What okay, I'm gonna yeah. So we'll learn together, listeners. Yeah. But basically, they're things that you know we just thought you guys might be interested in, and hopefully, it'll be fun to hear what kinds of things we like. Yep. Okay. If so... not, it's more it's more content for the content mill. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. We've got to go to the content factory and punch mm-hmm. in our clock. Yeah. <laughs> um, We're the most part-time podcasters <laughs> I know of. <laughs> we just got to make sure we're like on the rolls for the month. Or else. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so are you going to go first? Um, Sure. My first recommendation is tea. This was a big year for me with tea. <laughs> That's true. I, uh, I recommend that you go get yourself some loose leaf tea. Get, your, get it in... What you want is like 12 Ziploc bags in constant rotation <laughs> in a plastic bag that you take to and from work. <laughs> um, get yourself like one of those tea balls or a strainer like the Macedonians use. Yeah. You're going to want to go to Chinese grocery stores and look for teas you've never heard of and read the box <laughs> to what they're supposedly helping you with. Yeah. You're going to want some You're going to want to invest a heavy in black sesame seed tea for beauty that you never make. <laughs> right. Uh, but you are going to want spearmint and uh, chamomile. Yes. I'm getting serious now. Yeah, this yeah. is a serious recommendation. Yeah, also. yeah. So those are your staples. You can put them in everything. You want some other... Tasty stuff like lavender. Also, it's calming. You're going to want echinacea and red clover. Those are your... Like anti-inflammatory. Yeah, those are like your your go-to weapons to combat anything that's wrong with you. Yeah. Throw in calendula. Yeah. You know, I had the flu. I was drinking red clover and echinacea, and it got me through. Yeah. Also, uh, highly recommend marshmallow root. It's like a natural expectorant. So if you have a cough or you are feeling it come on, you want to like get marshmallow root, let it steep for like eight hours or overnight. It's going to get kind of like a mushy, gooey slime that it's going to release. But that's what you want because that's like going to like go into your body and I don't know, just like pull out that phlegm and get it yeah. right out of you. Yeah, you just and you don't need like robitussin. Yeah, it works better. I hate cold medicine. Yeah, actually. I hate Sudafed. My, like, entire life is, that's, like, how we treated uh, cold. There's also great sleep teas. True. Drink valerian root. You get all tingly. It's almost like a drug. (laughs) It's very relaxing. It is good. Obviously, lavender also. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. That's tea. Uh, Yeah. Also, in terms of mint, it's very good for your tummy. If your tummy is unsettled or you're having problems with the digestion. Okay. Getting very informative. Well, I mean, Macedonians drink a lot of tea. When we first met, I was the tea buff in Mm -hmm. our relationship, but you have far and away surpassed me. Yep. 
Um, Adam's my little tea witch now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like, it, I mean, you make good good tea mixes nowadays, and yeah, yeah become pretty committed to that. I think they can solve any problem you have. Uh, uh, if I'm you ask my grandma, get, I'm never going to get like, vaccines again. For one thing, uh, yeah, obviously, obviously, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not taking medication. I've stopped <laughs> taking all medications. Um. Yeah, that just. That I recommend just makes not sense. going to a doctor just yeah. by tea. Yeah, that just makes sense. Yeah. My first podcast recommendation is going to be a podcast. Uh, it's called Unraveled, and it's a fashion podcast. Uh, but it's really cool, even if you're not a fashion person. Like the first episode is all about last girls in horror movies, mm-hmm. and they go through the genre and talk about like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Friday the Thirteenth, um, Freddy Krueger, yeah, yeah, all these like kind of classic horror movies, and they look at what the last girls wear, and also what sometimes like some of the other female characters wear, and they dissect the movies through that, and it's really, really fascinating. Like, I'm like not a horror movie person at all, but it made me like more interested in watching these movies because of the really interesting um, analysis that they did. And then another episode that was really good was um, right after the Serena Williams controversy happened where like the French, they did I think was it the French Open they didn't want to let her play because she was wearing like a like a bodysuit uh which was made by like Nike to help her like perform better after her pregnancy they did an an episode on Florence Griffith Joyner who was called the fastest woman in the world in like the 80s and part of like she like really leaned into being this like cool young black woman and she would like have her nails done and get like these cool patterns and outfits and like um just the rest of this way like the rest of the sport didn't really have anyone oh, she doing was a that tennis player no she was a runner a runner but she, she would have these like spandex like outfit like prints and stuff like that that oh, were really okay. cool yeah so you did just, say fastest woman in the world. Yeah. But I thought you were talking about, like, she could sew faster than anybody. <laughs> no. Okay. But yeah, so it was really cool to learn about how long this controversy has been going on, uh, and especially how it's used against women in mainly, like, white-dominated sports, you know, um, and how, like, fashion plays this, like, important role of mm-hmm. being used to police them out of these um places where they're like dominating you know yeah character design is really cool i guess maybe that has something to do with why tennis is so strict about your outfits and everything they really want to design the players to be like uh to represent a specific type of character totally totally um and actually then later that this year beyonce dressed up as uh florence griffith joiner for her uh one of her halloween costumes so mm. i mean it was pretty cool i felt like a lot of people were like oh this is who beyonce is dressing up as younger people might not know or whatever and i was like i know but it's because <laughs> i just listen to this podcast but anyway it's a really cool podcast i really recommend it so i have a good uh follow up to that since you're talking about cosplay and character design i have two anime Can recommendations I talk about okay <laughs> you said beyonce cosplayed as this oh yeah <laughs> i don't think it counts as cosplay no. dressing as a real person but this year, I think it was the beginning of this year, I watched Shirabako, which okay. is the anime about making anime. It's a really strong oh, yeah, series. You told me about that. It's uh I think it'd be interesting even if you're like not that into anime just because it's a really strong show 
yeah, basically it follows a young girl in the anime industry who's kind of like a PA, getting things done. And she has friends who they grew up together in like an anime club in school, and they each represent like different roles. Like one's a voice actor, uh, one's a uh, like artist. And uh, it's just a really strong series where you learn about a lot about how anime is made. And also it pulls off really well having like a really large um, amount of characters. Mm. Not a lot of shows or even anime can like show you characters that you only see a few times but you feel like you get what you get their deal Mm -hmm. you know and yeah it's just a really strong series that's highly recommended it definitely one of my favorite like slice of life anime out of all of them that i've seen cool and also i watched girlish number these are both a few years old but i watched them this year girlish number is like shirobako with a smaller cast where they're all voice actors and they work on an anime that really sucks and the main girl really sucks at being a voice actor. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a good series about, like, being bad at things. <laughs> Struggling <laughs> to, like... I, I don't know. It's a cool series. Like, the main character kind of just wants to be a voice actor because she wants to be popular. She's really into how many followers she has online and stuff. And she only gradually really decides it's something that she, like, actually wants to do. Mm-hmm. And the the story is kind of, like, her journey from being a kind of shitty person who's bad at what she's doing to somebody who is like on a normal level it's not about like making your best work or being the best person it's just about um i don't know like working in the real world where you you have a lot of disappointments and things aren't great all the time and i don't know you struggle to even be normal i guess cool yeah it's good okay my next one's gonna be like short and sweet Uh, which is just like and retweet things liberally. I feel like a lot of people act like on Twitter that like as if like Jack gives us a certain number of likes and retweets that we can hand out during the year and you got to be real (laughs) careful who you give them to, you know? It's like, just chill out, man. Just like it, retweet it, whatever. But like, I don't know. I just feel, I mean, it happens on other social media too, but I just feel like sometimes on Twitter, people take themselves a little too serious, like self-seriously. And I also think maybe I use it a little bit differently because when I first started using Twitter, um, I read that like Twitter owns everything that you tweet and that like really freaked me out. And I also felt like, well, then I should get like paid for that, (laughs) you know? Um, so for like the first, I don't know, four years that I was on Twitter or something, I never tweeted anything. I only ever retweeted and mm-hmm. liked things. Um, You're just very reluctant to engage for free with Twitter. Yeah, I yeah. just felt like I should be paid for this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, So, yeah, so I don't know. I think like I'm very liberal as a result with my retweets and likes. And I'm always kind of shocked when I see that people are sort of like they'll do one or the other like especially if I like like if I really like something I'm liking I'm retweeting I'm sending it to Adam like I'm a very enthusiastic user in that way and I also think that there's a little bit of a hangover from the way it used to be when it was like um like it was just straight through and so you saw like new tweets at the very top and whatever and then like maybe you don't want to be annoying and like constantly like retweeting but now everything's like all jumbled up yeah so that's true it doesn't matter man like people are just gonna see it in a 
stew of other tweets anyway, you yeah. know? So, yeah, yeah. just, I like, chill out. To. Don't take yourself too seriously. I do try not to retweet too much. Why? Um, I guess maybe it is a hangover from the way it used to be. But people are really way too strict with likes, too. Yeah. Um, also, we had to lock the, the dogs in here, <laughs> so you may hear some snoring. <laughs> Uh, we have cookies cooling, so we couldn't leave them out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, people are real strict with like, sometimes somebody will post a video. I don't, I've never post videos, but like, you'll see it has. Oh, yeah. Like, it'll be up for a few minutes. It'll have 20 plays and like one two or likes. two likes. Yeah, like, I know. It's how like... are you going to watch somebody's like face? I and know. Like, throw them a like. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. They're free. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, that's my recommendation. Okay. Uh, do you want to do one more? Because I didn't pull my notes up yet. Sure. Okay. Um, I read this article on MidwestSocialist.com called What It Means to Be a Marxist. I'll link it. Actually, I'll link pretty much everything that's linkable in the show notes, and I'm sure Adam will provide his links too. But anyway, okay, so the article is by Rasim Cannon, and it was published on November 29th this year. He just really goes through and talks about what it means to be, like, a socialist in a really just straightforward way that talks about, like, why, like, we're socialists without getting super bogged down into, like, I don't know, the details of, like, dialecticals and okay. things like that. I see him shit-talking John Rawls in an aside. I'm yeah. In that. Yeah. Like, he says uh, in that it's useful to think of Marx... Uh, okay, Marxism is not a detailed plan for how to create socialism. Marxism is an immoral philosophy in the way the Enlightenment philosophers and their progeny, like John Rawls, tried to build up moral systems from first principles to determine what is the most, quote, fair. It does not instruct us to engage in violent insurrection. Marx, through his analysis of human society, gave us an understanding of the laws governing how society develops and how we can understand the process of history. His theories of alienation and class struggle inform us as to the causes of human misery and the obstacles to human flourishing. This is the historical materialism that is the strongest single thread of his work. His, historical materialism is simply stated the theory that human societies develop according to how the forces of production are ordered and that the features of a society will ultimately relate back to the orienting of the forces of production. So actually, like, you and I talked about borders and how important, like, it is to understand borders. Yeah, in a currently unreleased episode. Yeah, yeah. as a place of, like, basically, like, like, where the forces of production are regulated, essentially. Yeah. He just has this really great, straightforward way of cutting through the bullshit um, and making it, like, really clear. And I think that if you're someone who hasn't, especially, like, read I, I don't like learn anything brand new reading this but it was just a really great summary but i think if you're maybe someone hasn't read any kind of marxist thinking or theory and maybe is like new to it just through like podcasts and stuff this would be a really cool way to get into it a little bit more that's super easy to read and like i said i think it's just really straightforward which is what i just really like about it the most yeah i want to read it yeah it's on midwestsocialist.com yeah. do you know if that's a good website Sounds cool. Um, I don't know. And I follow someone who goes by Midwest Socialist on Twitter. I don't know if that's connected or not. Okay. <laughs> so, well, they do like their posts. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, if you can follow them, I guess. Well, it's the Chicago Democratic Socialists of America. So oh, okay. presumably it's pretty fucking good. I don't know why I got so enthusiastic at the end there. Anyway. Okay. 
<laughs> I have a big theory recommendation. I feel like I've worked a lot this year, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like I was busy at work a lot. You were. And when I'm at work and I have some downtime, I tend to like read PDFs from ARG. And uh, this year I've read a lot of Walter Ben Michaels and I read uh, the Against Theory articles. And I think mm-hmm. we're going to talk about those in an episode. Yeah, I read most of them. Yeah. But it uh, really changed my thinking about art, and I'm trying to f- figure out how that relates to politics, too. So the, I have some ideas on that, but I don't want to get too into it right now. Yeah. I just want to summarize it a little bit. Okay. So, like, when, you, you know, I studied poetry, mostly studied literature, and when you study literature, you get a lot of ideas about where meaning comes from that are supposedly more radical like if if you're into like critical theory you read Roland Barthes and the death of the author which argues that like the author has no say over the meaning of the text and it's really up to the reader yeah and when you read it's a great that is a great essay death of the author is a great read it's short i would also recommend that but i've i've decided like i don't know it doesn't really do it for me yeah i really like these against theory pieces because they uh, reinforce what I already believe, but just like <laughs> in a much more like intellectual way. Yeah. Um. Because yeah, I I, un- I understand like the Roland Bart argument, but in against theory, he's basically saying like, no, intention has to be what creates meaning, yeah. right? Against theory argues that all meaning comes from intention. Yeah. Yeah. And that there is no way he has like a great example where. You know, you're walking down the beach mm-hmm. and the waves splat, you know, come in and then roll out and you see words. And Yeah, you see these lines from a Wordsworth poem. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, well, first you're walking on the beach and you just see the lines in the sand and you're oh, like, who okay. wrote that there? What does it mean? Yeah. But then you see a wave come and wash them away. And as the wave recedes, it writes like the next line yeah. from the poem, right? Yeah, yeah. So in that moment, you either think oh, like the ocean is alive and the ocean is trying to say something to me? Yeah. And what does the ocean mean by this poetry? Yeah. Or you realize that it's a just really beautiful coincidence. Yeah. Like, and then, just a total mistake. And if you real, if you if that's the conclusion you come to, you think, oh, this is meaningless in yeah. terms, because there is no intention, there is no author. Yeah, it's just like this cool thing that happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And but, maybe you look a little closer and the letters aren't quite, letters right Right. they just look like it from a distance or whatever yeah Um, or otherwise you assume there is an author with intention and it's the ocean and you need to ask what does the what does the sentient ocean want to communicate (laughs) with (laughs) yeah totally yeah you know and like i didn't really uh my poetry professors weren't into like critical theory and stuff they kind of hated it Mm -hmm. but they were more of the school of the old like 60s uh, the new criticism, yeah. which is about formalism and the idea that the meaning comes from like the form of the poem. Mm. But all of these theories, Walter Ben Michael says, are like ways to adjudicate interpretation before it happens. Yeah. yeah. And really, what we're all doing is like we're all on a level playing field, reading the text and trying to discern what the author meant. Mm. So, like, especially new formalism uh, or new the new criticism. Like, it's not a very progressive way to read text, right? Because yeah. it relies on, um, like, an epistemocracy. Like, yeah. Yeah, the most knowledgeable people can tell you yeah. what it's about. But also the rule and Which, Bart knowing approach, some of your professors, doesn't surprise me that that's... <laughs> yeah. But, like, uh, 
you know, Walter Ben Michaels is a socialist, and yeah. that's why I'm interested too in like how this fits into politics. Whereas Roland Bart, who I also I really like, but like he's a sort of new left guy, right? Mm-hmm. Who in the '60s and '70s was writing after May of '68 when they felt like the oh that old Marxist left, fuck that, we need like some new shit. Mm-hmm. And if when you compare it to Walter Ben Michaels, right? It's it's like individualistic and atomistic because it's just up to you as a reader, you know. Mm-hmm. But Walter, the reason Walter Ben Michaels says it's against theory this theory of interpretation that it depends on intention why he says that is actually against theory is because it offers you no clue to how to interpret a text yeah Yeah. so i feel like it puts everybody like on an equal playing field and Mm -hmm. uh, i don't know it opens a lot of interesting possibilities when reading things and thinking about politics yeah let's wrap it up there because like we'll talk more about. yeah i have i definitely had some thoughts on it i really enjoyed the um those pieces there's like two pieces that we read and um yeah, yeah. We'll but that's that got to be my biggest recommendation for the year because that's the thing i spent like the most time thinking about and okay yeah well then i'll share my biggest recommendation for the year next um <laughs> which is uh not quite as highbrow uh <laughs> it's um changing your like workout to suit you <laughs> okay. uh, which sounds really silly but like obviously like a new year is coming new year resolutions are hot right now a very popular resolution is trying to get fit or healthier or be better at exercising and i just like wanted to talk about that a little bit because i don't know a few years ago i got like really into Um, exercise and working out and I've been pretty consistent with it for like I don't know whatever like four or five years and you think like the goal is just to like get healthy or add exercise or whatever but it it changes and it molds and it it's so cheesy but it really is a fitness journey (laughs) (laughs) and um like last year after Uh, A couple of years of kind of doing the same types of workouts, I decided to like change things up by getting into like a really heavy lifting routine. And it seemed like what I wanted to do at the time and something that would like help me achieve the goals that I had for like my fitness goals or whatever. And for a while it was like, and I I was really enjoying the challenge of it and everything. Um, but slowly it started to just, it was, a it's a, it was a lot like the program that I was doing and it started to like really wear me down and I felt like really exhausted, but I had like, it was like three programs. And I mean, I bought each one, like as I continued forward, but I had the last, I was on like the last one. And I remember like your parents were visiting us and I was at the gym doing like a leg day. And I had like I had this feeling that I was going to cry when I realized I had three more sets left of this leg workout because it was like so intense and I was just so sick of doing it and tired. And it was like not painful, like in a dangerous way, but just like, you know, like it hurts. It sucks. I don't want to do this. <laughs> yeah. And so that was kind of my first clue where I just realized like, oh, I'm this isn't cool anymore. And so basically, this is a long winded way of just saying that sometimes like you with fitness can get really focused on achieving some goals or 
finishing something or like if you get like a trainer or a coach, sometimes you feel like you need to do something for them. And I just want to like encourage people to remember that like fitness is a hobby. Yes, it's good for you, but it's not your job. You don't have to like clock in every day. If you're tired, if the exercises you're doing aren't fun anymore and they make you feel like you want to cry, mm -hmm. you can change it up. Like you are the boss. You are, you should be in control. It should be fun. Like normally like working out is fun for me and like a stress reliever and like really great for my mental health. So when I had turned the place and like the gym into a place that I like didn't want to go to, you know, I had like really like, I don't know, just like taken away this great tool that I have for all aspects of my health otherwise, you know? And so, yeah, I don't know. I just want to like, I think that a lot of times people think like, oh, I have to be really disciplined to mm -hmm. be healthy and things like that. Or like, um, if it's not hard, it's not good enough, no pain, no gain, yeah. stuff like that. And that's, that's just wrong. Like, that's like when we talked about maybe two years ago or more, the new Victorian mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, The totally. new Victorian mindset is like uh, when the bourgeois class was rising in the Victorian era, they wanted to distinguish themselves from aristocrats yeah. who just were like enjoying whatever they wanted because they were rich. But bourgeois people were like, no, we deserve this. If we go to the concert, it's because it's an intellectual exercise and we're going to learn from it and yeah. be bettered by it. Yeah. So every aspect of your life starts to become this like self-optimization to prove yeah. that you're better and more deserving. Yeah. And like I'm saying, like, you know, it just I was making myself miserable because it, this was like hard and I wanted to like complete the task um, instead of like just realizing like. No one's going to give me an A because I, you know, am like did all the sets or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, so anyway, basically, like I've changed up my workout routine in the last month and I've started doing a little more cardio, but also like I'm walking my dogs again, which I wasn't doing for a while because I was like, felt like I'd been run over by a truck every day. You know? <laughs> so anyway, I just really want to recommend that as you enter your fitness journey, you enter it eyes wide open. Remember that you're in charge. Remember that it should be fun. Remember that, you know, there are no shortcuts, but it is like a healthy lifestyle. So when you start to like really go ham uh, in one direction, sometimes you're like taking away energy from all the other aspects of your lifestyle. Because that's the other thing is like I started eating less healthfully because I didn't have the energy to like mm. stop myself sometimes from ha like snacking extra when I was just eating out of boredom or whatever. Because yeah. because all my energy was going into these like heavy ass lifting sessions that were crazy long too. Mm -hmm. And I mean, listen, I have like upper body strength for the first time in my life like I have biceps my booty got rounder that was a big goal you know like so it, it's not like it was for nothing but like when I look at that stuff I'm and then I remember how like miserable I was it's like no <laughs> <You know? laughs> if, if you have to do so many split squats that you want to cry I'm not <laughs> sure the rounder booty is really like, <laughs> yeah. that much worth it but anyway that's my big recommendation. Honestly, I don't know. It just happened earlier, like in the last month or so that I changed it. And I just like the first week, especially, I just felt so much happier. I just couldn't believe how miserable I'd like made myself. Yeah. So I just wanted to it's recommend that. It's been a <laughs> somewhat long learning process for you to stop injuring yourself when you work out by pushing too hard. Yeah. 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 I have a, 
Yeah. I've actually, I mean, honestly, one of the other things, this is going to sound so cheesy too, but one of the other things that I really like about working out is that it is truly an exercise against perfectionism because every time I get really good at lifting, I don't know, like let's say like squatting a certain amount of weight, that that's bad. I need to add more weight and sure. struggle to get good at lifting that amount, you know? So like in that way, it's really good. But the problem is like, I do have a really strong streak of wanting to like I have those like task oriented or self-motivated uh, perfectionist yeah. those like stupid things you're supposed to say mm-hmm. at an interview uh, like when people are like what's your biggest yeah weakness? I have those but it's a yeah. curse like I have to work against that all the time and I injure myself sometimes yeah because I yeah, push it will literally make you weaker for a couple yes weeks. yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so anyway just wanted to recommend that you don't make yourself miserable on purpose. <laughs> yeah. I told you how um, I saw somebody tweeting about like, hey, I've never listened to Come Town. Tell me about Come Town. And I was like, <laughs> my wife listens to it while she lifts. And everybody thought I was inventing you. <laughs> everybody thought I was making it up. <laughs> That's so funny. The rest of my recommendations are all media. I don't have any particularly good one to follow that. Well, that was, that's on. like my big, longest-winded one for sure. Um, well, I have another one about poetry before we get into like just TV and stuff. Well, I'm not getting into TV and stuff, but okay. Oh, well, I am. That's I mean, I, I will, but that's not all I have. Um, I also have makeup, for instance. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, let me just say, for poetry, there I recommended one time this year this online literary magazine wohe w-o-h-e um it's the only thing that i've read in a long time or maybe ever that just every single piece every poem every story just is super good to me um if you aren't into poetry but you might be interested in checking it out this would be a great place to start because all of the poetry avoids the worst parts of poetry like the poet voice and they avoid all the cliches of like trying to be too transcendental or too um you know narrative narrativizing your own life type of stuff Mm. all the poems are slightly experimental but still super fun um it's edited by this this poet this young poet jesse knowles who is also great and uh i recommend checking it out i would also recommend on along poetry lines I went another PDF I read from ARG when I should have been working was uh, a survey of modernist poetry by Laura Riding and her husband, uh, some other guy, written in 1927. And Laura Riding was this, um, I, f- I don't know what her background was. I think maybe she was kind of upper class because she was one of those people that kind of drifts in and out of the fancy artistic circles, you mm-hmm. know, and like has all these love affairs and stuff and so she has like a biography an autobiography where she like apparently dishes on all that shit Mm -hmm. Uh, because eventually she just like started hating all those people and she even started hating poetry later but in 1927 she wrote a survey of modernist poetry that it still reads so fresh it's like a a long series of blog posts about poetry and it's full of insights that I thought everybody understood, but I've never heard them so well put. And now that I look around at other poems, I realize nobody knows this. <laughs> like she, um, it's also great for how she trashes Ezra Pound 
and HD and all the other cool. imagists. She doesn't like William Carlos Williams at all. Okay. And, uh, you know, I like him, but a lot of his poems kind of suck. <laughs> <laughs> and she's really great at pointing out why they suck and what's bad about That's them. That's cool. And she really defends E.E. E. Cummings, which is oh, great awesome. because every fucking yeah. poetry professor you'll ever have is too cool for E.E. E. Cummings. Yeah. But basically, E.E. E. Cummings is like her example of a great modernist poet because there's this entire unity of form and content that creates small poems and the art is really in um i don't know like expressing your meaning with every aspect of the poem and creating new forms as opposed to older poetry which would just take um an existing form like a sonnet or a couplet sequence and in older poetry you could just go on and on and on because you have that form to propel you but once you're in this formless space where you have to create your own form um it results in smaller poems mm. so she that's cool it's an interesting insight about modernist poetry but um the best insight was that poems should not just restate stuff from it should po poetry should not be prose but pretty it shouldn't just say stuff that you could say in prose but like be cooler or prettier mm. and that's what she trashes as her pound for mostly mm. and uh after reading that i just started thinking about that every time I read poetry, you know, that's coming out now. And most of the poems don't pass that test. Yeah. 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 So really recommend that also. Cool. Okay. Uh, well, my next recommendation is Women in Power by Mary Beard. Basically, it's just a, a lecture that is in a book essay form. It's pretty like loose. It's really easy to read. And it's not like radical. It's not you're not gonna get like a radical Marxist perspective or something, but it's just a cool little analysis of women in power and And what, like the myths about women in power and what Yeah, but about. also like yeah, like like she talks about one of the myths, um I forget all the names of the people like people, characters, I guess. In one of them, I think it's like there's a woman and then her sister's husband like rapes her and then um, he cuts her tongue out so she can't say who raped her. Uh, but then she weaves it into, like, her tapestry. Mm -hmm. uh, but then, like, that was, like, a Greek myth. But then in, like, a Roman myth that came later, the rapist cuts out her tongue and cuts off her hands. Oh, my God. Yeah. So you can see, like, a response, <laughs> wow. you know, like an escalation of, like, silencing these women. That's so funny that that's a change that doesn't happen in the story. It happens in reality. Yeah. yeah. And um, that came from the fact, like, that basically women had no role in, like, Greek public life at all. And same with Roman life. Except they were allowed to, like, accuse a man of, like, raping them or whatever, yeah. like, publicly. So this was, like, a response to taking away that one public instance that they were able to express a voice. Yeah. Um, and she talks about how, like, there are, like, Roman senators who, like, wrote openly about how, and Greek, but about how, like, um, women's voices were too shrill and too... Like, you, you just couldn't listen to them. They were just made for just, like, chitter-chattering and gossiping. But they weren't, like, they didn't have, like, the gravitas to discuss important matters. And, you know, anyway, that's yeah. not, like, how women think. But, you know, even if they could think like that, like, their voices, like, like 
they were physically handicapped by their voices to not be made for public speaking, basically. Um, And she points like these through lines, like at first it starts out with kind of more extreme stuff like that. That's like a little silly, but then she essentially points these through lines out. I mean, obviously like with the voice thing, a famous example would be like Margaret Thatcher, right? Who famously like was accused of being extremely shrill and took like voice lessons to try to like, sound more authoritative and obviously the answer here is that uh we don't associate women with authority so we don't associate the qualities of a woman's voice with authority the way that we do a man right so people mm-hmm. will say oh the guy from the all-state commercial like his voice is so lovely and easy to listen to but that's like mm-hmm. because we've learned to appreciate those qualities yeah and we haven't done the same with like women's voices but I don't know. So it's just stuff like that that she just kind of points out that there's these like through lines of sexism that really come from antiquity and they follow right through into modernity. And it's just interesting to see how that has just been passed on through our cultures. And yeah. Mary Beard also has a great TV show. It's really good. It's really good. We really like her. Oh, that reminds me, though, of um, something else we could recommend. This, This week we just watched the classic Lifetime movie, Mother May I Sleep with Danger. And we also watched... I really want to do a full episode on that. Okay. We watched both. We watched the yeah. the original and the remake. Yeah. The, orig- the James Franco remake. James Franco penned remake. He didn't direct it, but he penned it. Mm-hmm. Um, the original, it's almost like, tell me if you agree, like a David Lynch uh, TV movie if it subtracted all the like Otori mm. super realist, super uh, supernatural Yeah, elements. I can totally see that. Yeah, because it has that sort of, especially because it is a tv movie that's kind of cheesy it has that like front of being americana yeah that underneath is all twisted yeah it's one of the and it's also in seattle it really has a sense of um twin peaks to it like early early twin peaks yeah season one um it yeah it starts off with oh this is like the perfect relationship the guy wants to be a doctor he's in Mm -hmm. med school but then it turns out to be one of the like strongest um capturings of a abusive relationship that i've seen in a movie and certainly a tv movie yeah i mean good bad but like i think it's just good good like i went into it like seeking pleasure you know what i mean like yeah. i didn't go into it like we, it was entertaining it too. was yeah it was it was really good it to me it is like template perfect lifetime movie yeah you know like lifetime is chasing this dragon to this <laughs> yes, day definitely. you know like and it's just it's also just a good movie like, yeah yeah, it's just a strong movie yeah. in general. But it, it's, you know, it's a TV movie. It doesn't have, like, the flash yeah, of yeah. a cin- totally. total cinematic masterpiece. Totally. But it is a masterpiece. And, I mean, you've got Tori own. Spelling in yeah, the main role, which is just... <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny in the first few minutes to see her run through campus. Yeah. <laughs> she's running like she's trying to escape. Yeah. <laughs> but she's just but jogging. she's supposed she's to exercising. be jogging. Yeah, she runs yeah. like an insane person, but it's yeah. great. Uh, it's like when in that Friends episode when Phoebe's like, you've got to run like when you're a kid and it's fun. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, Jennifer Aniston's like too nervous to run like that. And then they both run like wild women. That's like Tori Spelling's natural jogging yeah. style. You know what else we watched that was a great portrait along similar lines was melrose place Mm. so in melrose place there's a character that is like the most sociopathic yeah and and like well-drawn sociopathic character i've ever seen in tv truly it's also he's a doctor yeah interesting yeah it starts out it's like people were afraid of doctors in the 90s is what i'm learning like this these two characters who are both main characters have the perfect relationship they're newlyweds 
Yeah. He's this, you know, charming, apparently attractive doctor. Apparently everybody thinks he's I know. attractive. Yeah. But um Dr. Mancini. Yeah, Dr. Mancini. And then like halfway through the first season, he you, there's no hint that he's like an evil guy. And yeah. then all of a sudden he's cheating. And then and he's, he's like gaslighting her. Gaslighting her. He's hitting on her sister. He's he's lying to just everybody without yeah. any remorse. Yeah. He's uh, yeah. It's like full full on psychopath. It's crazy. Yeah. It's great. It's, it's really, really good. good. It comes on slow too. It's it's good. Yeah, you have to be willing to sit through, <laughs> sit through hours and hours <laughs> of early nineties drama. <laughs> First few, ep- the, I think the first episode, I was like, "Are we still watching the same episode?" Like it was so slow. Like yeah. I can't believe that was their pilot. They're like, "We're gonna grab them with this." And it's just like, yeah. But this one, paint dry. the show, the show's up. fine. It picks up. And this one aspect of the show is great. Um, but what really reminded me when you're talking about Mary Beard's Rome and women in power is when James Franco tries to rewrite Mother oh, May I Sleep with Danger. He introduces this literary theory element where he talks about queer theory and monsters and uh the main Ugh. he turns like the main killer into a, a lesbian like teen lesbian vampire yeah and he wants it to be about monsters and power and women but that is just totally like lacquered on the top yeah and has no effect on anything that happens in the plot it just and... leads to a much much worse movie yeah. overall yeah. it's not great it's not even that interesting really but that's what made me think of it yeah yeah it's a disappointment it is Although Tori Spelling is also in it, and she is also still really funny. <laughs> and then yeah. they just kill her at the end, and she's they just kill her almost off screen, just in the background, yeah. and then she's just laying there, yeah. and that's like the end of her role yeah. in the movie, when she was the original girl in the original one. Maybe it's she amazing. had like a, or her dad like produced the original Mother May I or something. I think so. I think that's how she ended up there. Oh, really? Because I, I was thinking maybe in I order to get name. the rights to remake it, he had to like cast her or something. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, that's a great recommendation. I just thought of. Okay. Congratulations. That's also like most of what the episode would be if we did a full episode on that. So I guess we'll just <laughs> <laughs> call it there. No, there is a Lifetime one. movie about the cast, like the unauthorized story about the cast of the Melrose Place set. So maybe we could watch oh, that cool. and talk about that. No, we could do one about Mother May I Sleep with Danger. Maybe. We didn't really talk about what happens. It might be interesting to talk about why the James Franco one is so, so. Yeah, so bad. A failure. Okay, so wait, is it my turn or your turn? You, no, my you turn. Can go, whatever. Okay. So another book that I this one I haven't finished, but um it's not very long and I would recommend anyway. Uh is um Anti Semitism and the Jew by Sartre. Sartre? Sartre? How do Americans say it? Uh, the Americans say Sartre or Sartre. Yeah. Okay. And I don't know how French. I, can I always never don't do the... want to sound like pretentious and do the French version, yeah. but then I don't know how else to say it either. Okay, anyway, uh, it's a really great book. It's not like, you know, he did a bunch of research and he's like going to teach you something. It's more like his, just his observations watching anti-Semites. So here's a really great quote from it. I think it's honestly like, yes, anti-semitism is definitely on the rise but in general i think just when you look at sort of like supremacists and the way that they think this is like a good analysis of that and when i see the way alt-right people behave i'm constantly reminded of things i've read in this book do you have that one quote i do passed around online this is like why we bought the book yeah because this quote was so strong yeah so he says you know actually i'll let you read it i feel like i already read like a long passage this big part here yeah this big part right here 
Okay. Never believe that anti-Semites are completely unaware of the absurdity of their replies. They know that their remarks are frivolous, open to challenge, but they're amusing themselves. For it's their adversary who is obliged to use words to res- to use words responsibly, since he believes in words. The anti-Semites have the right to play. They even like to play with discourse. For, by giving ridiculous reasons, they discredit the seriousness of their interlocutors. They delight in acting in bad faith, since they seek not to persuade by sound argument, but to intimidate and disconcert. If you press them too closely, they will abruptly fall silent, loftily indicating by some phrase that the time for argument is past. Should I do this one? Um, yeah, you could do it if you want to. Yeah, the anti-Semite is impervious to reason and to experience, not because his conviction is strong. Rather, his conviction is strong because he has chosen, first of all, to be impervious. Yeah. Yeah. He has also chosen to be terrifying. He says that. Yeah. So I just, I think this book, like, has some really great ideas about how, how anti-Semitism, but just, like, hateful thinking in general works. Like, that it's essentially a faith, like, you're, that's why it's, like, impervious to reason, like he's saying, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it's because you have chosen to believe in this thing, and so... In the same way that someone who's a Christian, like, you can't come at them and say, well, Jesus didn't really walk on water or whatever. You know, bring facts to an argument with an anti-Semite or a white supremacist or whatever doesn't work because their uh, conviction isn't based on reason in the first place. So you can't argue on that level with them. And then I think another thing that he talks about that's really interesting um, is this idea of how... uh, Essentially, he's French, obviously. So he's talking about Frenchmen, but I mean, you can imagine this as like the dominant uh, ethnicity or whatever in any um, country, where like he talks about how essentially like uh, French, like a, a French anti Semite will talk about how like either the Jews are really strong uh, and like unfairly powerful or they're like you know nebbish and weak and whatever um but the frenchman himself can be like mediocre and it doesn't matter because he is like of france he is like of the earth and that's something like i mean of the french soil so to speak and that's some in their in their mind obviously and that's something that like uh again in their mind the jew can never achieve so being like mediocrely french is like perfect like it's like the most french you can be and it's like an inheritance you get just by being born french that the jew doesn't have access to you know and um i was actually another thing i wanted to recommend was this article by naomi klein that i um suggested to you as well um where she talks about how um basically like you have um these like princelings essentially um you know like jared kushner and and ivanka um and i mean donald trump to some extent but like he still like kind of like earned some money whereas like this younger generation is essentially just constantly inheriting money without doing anything mm-hmm. uh and so they need a way to justify like why they're inheriting all this money and so and, and just getting more money than everybody else every day and so they slowly start turning to things, to supremacist thinking, right? Mm. To thinking, uh, well, we have better breeding, we have better values, we have better genes, we have more energy. More uh, energy. You know, we work harder. Um, 
whatever than other families. Uh, I saw someone tweet actually recently. Uh, well, the working class isn't good at making decisions. That's why they're working class. Oh my god. Yeah, things like that are what the the type of thinking that these people as essentially like turn to. As if the ability to. to make decisions is genetic and shit. As if anybody gives anyone in the working class a chance to make a decision. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, so she talks about how these, you know, very, very well, like um, we watched that movie by Jamie Johnson from the Johnson and Johnson, mm-hmm. where he also interviews a bunch of these people and you hear kind of stuff like that. Or when we watched Weekend Aristocrats and you hear the Baron or Baronet or whatever he was, he's like interacting with the public and then he oh, says, yeah. oh, well, we're just good breeding, like whatever. That's another, was that this year that yeah. we watched that stuff? Okay, that's real quick, another recommendation. These shows about British people who have an estate and yeah. can't afford to keep it up because you need like slaves almost. Yeah, but he's still convinced that he is better than the people who are coming here to pay him money to basically get help him keep yeah. up the estate. What was that show called? Uh, weekend aristocrats yeah or there's longleat yeah they have to they can't afford their estate so they turn it into like a zoo amusement park just to try to draw people in yeah they need constant it's like tens of thousands of dollars per month just to like heat and electrify this yeah and to keep like the humidity and stuff right for the priceless paintings they have on the walls and shit you know Um, we did an episode about that for anybody yeah interested yeah But anyway, so the point is, this is a long-winded way of saying that one of the sort of deals, like when people are like, well, why do uh, working class people vote for Trump, you know? Because Trump is saying essentially, uh, I deserve my inheritance. And working class, like especially like working class white people, middle class white people in America, also feel that they deserve the inheritance that they were promised by being born white middle class um in america in america too and he's saying like yeah we all like their inheritance is much more modest and and not this grandiose affair but it's the same thing and he's speaking we're gonna get our country back you know like it's the same idea that like also Sartre is talking about with the mediocre Frenchman it's like the Jews are the other and we by just being born here are owed this like inheritance inheritance and this way of like being treated that's special and different than maybe why that's why the opposition to immigration takes the form of we're opposed to illegal immigration like they are so strong and insistent on that point that like well they broke the law they don't deserve to be here yeah even daca kids they're like that's just the rules that's the law yeah. they broke the law yeah you know i think it's easy to just see that as like a fig leaf covering the racism yeah but maybe it it has more of a deep connection to where that racism comes from mm. which is that they don't deserve it and you need an excuse for why they don't deserve yeah. it yeah because you have a sense that what you deserve is being taken away from you. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so anyway, anti-sem... Oh, I'm sorry, it's anti-Semite and the Jew. Oh, yeah. I was thinking maybe we could talk more about that Naomi Klein article after I finish it. Yeah. Because I had a lot of ideas. Oops, yeah, and the Naomi Klein article, it's called Donald Trump, Brett Kavanaugh, and the Rule of Pampered Princelings. And it's on The Intercept. Wait, that was your recommendation. No, that doesn't count. Yes, it does. No, I have one. You just put it my recommendation for the top tv show of the year and also anime is devil man cry baby netflix original (laughs) okay it's a so good it's by one of the best you know creators in anime uh yuasa it is a total throwback 
to the anime that I grew up with, which was like, I would go to, this was back when video stores existed. I'm starting, you know, I'm getting old. Things that I grew up with no longer exist, and one of them is video stores. And, uh, you know, you kill in time, your parents are looking at everything, so you wander around the store and you find the anime section. And you're like 12, so you're too old for most of the cartoons on TV, but you like cartoons, so you start renting some anime. You rent Perfect Blue because it on the back says this is a Hitchcockian thriller and you're 12 and you're like, oh, Hitchcock's my favorite movie mm-hmm. director. So, you know, you start getting into like more adult anime. Mm-hmm. And that was, to me, a big part of what anime was, was like the these 80s and 90s OVAs, direct-to-video animes that are like three, six episodes long that are more adult as in like 16-year-old boys, you know, like violence and yeah, some nudity and whatever. Um, and Devil Man Crybaby is a total throwback to that, and at the same time, like an elevation of it. It's a super well told, depressing, violent, chaotic, apocalyptic story that has extremely cool animation. Um, and it's got that Yuasa style where everything's a little bit different than anything else you've seen before. So instead of it being like super realistic, like those old OVAs and stuff, it's more um, flat and cartoonish and still tells a great story with really compelling characters and it's awesome it's great best tv show of the year i think okay yeah uh well i guess if we're going to talk about cartoons i'll (laughs) recommend um being puppy cat oh yeah that's good which is very good and so cute and it's all online right i think the whole series is online. also if you get on amazon quick you might be able to buy the last pair no, don't. Puppy cat slippers. I want them, except that my puppy keeps eating my slippers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, so sh- oh, should we say what being puppy cat is about? It's like a web series about a girl. I, f- I forget how she ends up meeting, syncing up with puppy cat. Yeah. This little animal that she's not sure if it's a puppy or a cat. Yeah. And frowns all the time. Yeah. And cute. he's like, I'm actually a prince or From whatever. From another planet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And then they end up doing sort of like detective plots, like uh, yeah, like they have they get like assignments and they go to like different planets. Oh yeah, Puppy Cat is like, do you need to make money? Because yeah. uh, B is like a young um, adult who just doesn't have enough money to pay rent. And yeah. yeah, yeah, and she has like there's like a crush that she has and he has like two different colored eyes. It's, I don't know, oh, it's yeah, very I cute. That. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, it's just a really great show. We like blew through it so fast. Yeah, um, super thing. And it just, it visually is really pretty, and I don't know, whenever Puppy Cat sings sometimes, it's, like, very hauntingly beautiful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Remember? <laughs> okay, and then along those same lines, we just watched a show called Hilda, which I also really liked. Mm-hmm. Hilda's much more geared towards children, but it's very, very good. I actually really appreciate that it is geared towards children and isn't trying to be, like, knowing where, like, like the writers are always, like, kind of waving at you, like, hey, yeah. like, this is a joke for adults, you know? But it's super earnest, it's super sweet, she's, like, a little girl who lives in the woods with her mom and then she befriends a giant and he accidentally like crushes their house so she they move to trollberg it has a very nordic vibe to it like vaguely nordic vibe to it um there are a lot of trolls and giants and little woodland magical creatures um yeah and it's just super cute i don't know it's really cool really really enjoyed it we just finished that like last night but yeah 
I meant to say uh, it's been a great year for Xi Jinping. He's had a great year. If you're not following yes. Xi Jinping, check it out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He had that great museum show where he hid all the paintings of Hu Jintao and Jin yeah. Zanin. <laughs> <laughs> killing it. Killing yeah, it. Yeah, killing it. Putting his dad in paintings of Mao <laughs> like, right next to him in the background. <laughs> That's cool. That's yep. cool, normal stuff to do. <laughs> <laughs> normal way to honor your dad. <laughs> um, okay, so is it my turn? Uh, I don't know. I think so. We hit an hour, so let's not go too much longer. We got to at least. Okay, I'll go really quickly through and just say there's a website called Shop Missa or Shop Missa um, that has a really great dupe for boy brow from Glossier. I have no idea. It doesn't matter. Saying. If you're a woman, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's an eyebrow product that's like a natural eyebrow product. Normally, on Glossier, it's like $16. Shop Missa sells it for a dollar. So I highly recommend it. I got it. I tried it out. It's the, I've had the boy brow. It's the exact same thing. Also, though, this year I tried Glossier's Lash Slick, which is their uh, mascara. And if you're like me and you like a very natural, separated eyelash, not a, a clumpy voluminous thing but just like long wispy everybody likes a clumpy eyelash so <laughs> eyelashes a lot of people do and this is like the best product that i've ever tried for that like by a long shot so i'd highly recommend it um and also cloud paint is very good and also uh catrice has a concealer that's like five dollars at ulta and it's just as good as any very expensive concealer so i'd recommend that bite beauty lipstick is something that i've gotten really into this year it's food grade ingredients in lipstick because everybody eats their lipstick mm -hmm. so why not have <laughs> food grade ingredients in your lipstick and then i just wanted to give an honorable mention to stilla um, which has the baso liquid lip that our girl aoc made so popular but it is legitimately a really really great lipstick it's a perfect red that goes with like every skin tone every hair color like you're just going to look great. And it really is a very comfortable all-day liquid lip, which is actually really hard to find. So Nice. Um, I have one more anime recommendation since okay. we're doing our own niche stuff that the other, the other one doesn't, one doesn't care like. about yeah. or know what the words are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, when we were talking about Hilda, I remembered because, I, was, like I said, I think Hilda seamlessly integrates some computer-aided shit. Uh, there was a show, I, I think it was this year, but I watched it this year called Land of the Lustrous. I think in Japanese it's like Hoski no... Oh, I forget. Hoski no Kuni. Land of the Lustrous. Um, it's a CGI show. I'm almost principally opposed... Princip principally opposed? I almost have principles in opposition to CGI. Like, But this show really sold me on it. Cool. Um, yeah, I, I guess I won't get into it. I don't like CGI. I don't think it's... Yeah, don't get don't into it. You, you just don't ever... have to be quick and now... I have some out. very strong thoughts about how it can never <laughs> replace animation, but uh, this show really sold me on it, and it's it's a strong show about these... Uh, it's like a... It's one of those shows that's so like post-apocalyptic that the world has completely changed, and it could have just been a completely different world. There's only one human that we know of, and he's like a monk who... The main characters are these genderless characters that are made out of gems um they basically look like girls but they're genderless um then they don't have certain girl parts <laughs> <laughs> okay and uh they defend the area from these 
monsters that are called Lunarians that appear out of the sky. And it's a, about the main character, Gem Girl, who doesn't know where she fits in and tries to find her place and loses her arms and legs and gets them replaced by other gems that have magical powers and that, yeah, threaten to take over her body sometimes. And okay. <laughs> all that, you know, interesting, cool stuff. But um, it's a really beautifully animated show, even though it's CGI. And it is a compelling story. And a lot of trans people liked it, apparently, because they are. It's the first show that's like, yeah, ton of genderless characters. Cool. So I'm going to recommend a few podcasts. Um, I've tried a lot of fictional podcasts out this year. Most of them are duds. Boy, oh boy, are there a lot of duds. Um, But there's a few that really stand out. My absolute favorite, favorite, favorite of all time is Within the Wires. It's really great. It's made by one of the guys who makes Night Vale. Um, and he writes it with this other woman. Um, basically, every season is um, like we're, like tapes, essentially. And they start to like sort of tell you a story. But like the first season, they were like relaxation tapes for falling asleep to. The second season, they're guided tour tapes for museums. Like art museums. Yeah, that one was cool. Yeah, and then the um, third season, this season, has been like dictation tapes. So you're only ever really hearing one voice. But through what is happening on the tapes, you start to get a much fuller picture. And actually, like, now it's become clear that all of the these tapes exist in the same world, but at different points in the timeline of okay. this like, world. The one I was hearing was kind of an alternate present. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of how it is. But like, um, yeah, but the my favorite, if you're not going to listen to all three seasons, listen to season two, the one that's like the guided art museum tapes, because it's so good. It's also the story is really great. Like it's a self-contained story, even though it does connect to the other two seasons. Yeah. Um, but it's so creative. It's such a cool, unique way to tell um, a story that I've just never really experienced before. And yeah, it's yeah. just incredibly well done. The production value is obviously really high. Yeah, I thought it was really cool to like unlock the potential of um, the like audio device that you listen to while you're looking at yeah. paintings for storytelling. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of experimental storytelling out there, and I don't think that's one that anybody's done before. Totally. And it's it's like a, a woman who is like really into the the artist who painted these paintings and has studied her and met her and. Um, starts off talking about the painting and then takes these real digressions into the artist's life and her own life and the history of this world and stuff. It's um, cool. Yeah, but it also has that beautiful thing that I love when you have a guided tour where they're like, look at the strokes on the left or whatever. Yeah, yeah. What do they tell you about the world in which the artist lived or whatever, you know? Yeah. And so it really, it's so cool to have the audio but not have the visual in front of you so you are imagining True. You know, it just really plays with your imagination. I noticed in all a really the cool all way. the paintings are named after like what's in them. Mm. It'll be like women bathing or yeah. whatever, which is, is smart, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Um, but imagine how cool it would be if you went to a museum and you got the audiobook and you're listening and the person is talking about the painting and then just suddenly you realize that they've started talking about their own life <laughs> and their own story. Yeah, yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. It's really, really good. Um Another one that I recently came across that I really like is a podcast called Everything is Alive. And they interview like a Coca-Cola can 
a table, a lamp. That sounds awful. It sounds bad, but it's so well done. It's really cute. It's really creative. I really liked it. I don't know. I, I can see how it could be annoying, but I think it's done well enough. If you that like it, I'm annoying. sure it's not awful. Yeah. I'm sure it's not bad. Thanks, baby. Um, you don't have then, a lot of patience for cheesy things anyway. I, I don't. And then uh, I want to give just an honorable mention to Tannis and the Black Tapes, which are made by the same people. Um, and they're pretty good, although I feel like they've had a really hard time wrapping up the stories. They kind of like drag it out a little bit and they can't quite seem to commit to like ending it and stuff, especially Tannis. Um, but it's it's pretty cool. And if you haven't heard them, there's like hours for you to listen to. And it's pretty fun, especially if you're like, walking your dogs every day you know and <laughs> you you want something to kind of like entertain you and you can't always just listen to political podcasts yeah okay let's do tv before we get into the best non-anime tv i have two honorable mentions that are on the borderline between anime and normal tv okay one is agritsuko right okay uh, the um what's it called sanrio show about uh-huh. sanrio are the inventors of hello kitty and yeah. uh it's these Agritsuko is Retsuko, who is a little uh, cat person, a little fo- a little red fox person, who um, it's about like her working life. It's a great comedy about work mm-hmm. and part also her love life, but especially work. And there's another show called um, Skullface Bookseller Honda-san that um, it's almost like I'd say it's like an adult swim cartoon, except it's not off-putting in any way. It's just these um, very like simply animated show about working at a bookstore, and it works with a lot of the. It incorporates a lot of the details of actually working at a bookstore and dealing with distributors and restocking shelves and doing your order forms and everything, and I think it's really fun to watch. It's cool. Anime is like better at telling stories about work than american mm. tv every american tv show about work is really about relationships yeah but these two shows are really and so is shirabako and girlish number they're a lot more about work mm. uh, yeah that's a good reason to watch anime cool okay so best non-anime tv shows killing eve yeah definitely um terrace house opening new doors yeah the first two seasons of of opening new doors are like some of the best Terrace House of yeah. all. Um, you know, especially the relationship between Tsubasa and Xiong. Yeah. Super great. It's the cutest thing I've ever seen in my Incredible. life. Incredible. They're still together, which is also heartening. If you watch the preview on Netflix, it's probably still the scene where they're ice skating mm. together. Because yeah. Tsubasa is a hockey player. Yeah. And she's the girl. And Xiong yeah. is this tall... Male model. Male model who um, is, is ice skating like an awkward duckling and keeps falling <laughs> over <laughs> yeah it's really cute yeah it's the best okay um my i only have two tv recommendations and they're both old as hell and british oh one of mine is (laughs) abfab is it new on netflix or something i don't know maybe we just noticed it and immediately started watching it yeah i mean it's a tv show i've loved for absolutely fabulous yeah for years and years and years and years and we just went back to revisit it and it does not disappoint um, we were like dying. We like binged it. Yeah. And uh, the other one that I want to recommend is Two Fat Ladies, which you can find <laughs> That's cool. That's on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> it's a show that I used to watch late at night in Canada when we'd visit my cousins and everyone would go to bed. <laughs> 
And it's just two fat ladies, like it says. Uh, they ride around in a motorcycle and a sidecar sometimes. And they just bake traditional British food, which is disgusting. But they're, like, really sweet and really into it. Like, when they're making yeah. the boys' choir a Christmas meal, and they, like, I they put, like, boiled eggs and, like, meat in, like, a like pan yeah it's an extremely british show yeah they make extremely british food yeah. the ladies are extremely british extremely like, british yeah like they're nice but they're not smiling no and like they're having like sherry while they're cooking <laughs> <laughs> at least in the christmas episode they're telling kind of sarcastic jokes yeah, yeah. and you just get the sense too that like they're maybe i don't know if they're racist but they're like a little bit maybe racist (laughs) okay Okay. just in that like way like people are when they're like rich snooty british people you know another great not like actively another great british show from this year was kunk on britain yeah um so philomena kunk is a character from uh the guy who created black mirror charlie brooker Mm -hmm. not booker charlie brooker brooker Um, pretty sure he has some other great British shows. One of them was like... Uh, Newswipe? Newswipe, yeah. And it, it's just a show where he talked about clips from the news and, and stuff. A comedy show. And one of the characters, played by Diane Morgan, is Philomena Kunk, who um, does all the interviews and asks stupid questions. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just has a really extremely funny way of saying things i don't i don't know yeah i feel like we need to like just interject a clip here maybe we'll do that maybe not we'll see (laughs) the best way to find out where britain's heading is to look behind us into something called history a sort of rear view mirror for time so that's where i'm going back there it's a journey that'll take me the length and width of the country along the way i'll be shouting at helicopters and looking at some of the biggest events in british history and also walking somewhere impressive with my mouth shut while my voice speaks anyway like i'm talking aloud in my own head all of it taking place in this sceptered isle we call home so join me philomena kunk as i take you right up the history of the united britain of great kingdom this is kunk on britain but it's great. Check it out. It's about British history. So she talks about um, all the, uh, you know, Shakespeare and everything. That's the only that's the only thing that happened in British history. Right. Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, also, Doctor Who is better. Thank God Stephen Moffat is gone. It's OK. Some of the episodes are terrible. Some of the first episodes for the season are terrible. The two newest ones better. Yeah. We might want to do an episode about yeah. the Amazon type one. Uh, I'll just give you my critique here, which is that I wish that. The first female Doctor Who was allowed to be a woman instead of essentially a, a little boy. <laughs> you know, I mean, mm-hmm. she sort of is dressed like a little boy and her attitude is that of like a little boy. That's true, yeah. And she's just not a woman who like is embodied and like in her skin as a woman. And I just think it'd be so much cooler to have Doctor Who, the first female Doctor Who, be as embodied and feminine as all of the dapper and varied male doctor who's have been yeah you know oh yeah that's a missed opportunity yeah 
But this she could is, easily uh, she could be in like a smoking jacket. I mean, they could have even made her like a masculine doctor or a femme fatale Doctor Who, or like they could just something where she's a little bit stronger in herself as opposed to seeming like a child, like but the or like a a boy. Yeah, but that's feminism. Women acting like men. Yeah, that's feminism, right? Yeah, that's what I understand feminism to be. Um. Other good shows. Another British one, Ordeal by Innocence. Oh, yeah. Yes. A murder mystery set on an island where the characters are like trapped there. Adam and I love stuff like Miss Marple, Poirot, good old. Oh, we watch Agatha Raisin sometimes. That's a good one. Anytime there's like a situation where there's like a murder in a small, like British village and there's all these different characters that are your suspects and there's like an outsider that's come in to. Yeah. Solve the mystery. We're pretty interested, but yeah, murder by ordeal is really. I mean, that one's like much more. Like they, I think they do like every. Like they've been doing one like every year for Agatha Christie's birthday or something. Because yeah. there's like a few where they've like done like a bigger budget. Wait, is ordeal by innocence the one I said it was on the island, or is it the one where no, they're all? No, that okay. that's ordeal by innocence is the one where then like they're in the big house. They're like a weird family, family. where a lot of the kids are adopted. And yeah. Stuff. yeah, yeah. Um, the one that you're thinking of is the one we also watched, um, though, like from the previous year, that's, um, uh, 10 Little Indians. Is that what it's called? I don't think so. Maybe. I know, but that's the poem in it. What is it called? I don't know. People and then there people. were none. Is okay. that what it's called? Sure. Let's say. Let's say it is. Other great TV shows of the year. One that I feel was probably woefully unloved. The Joel McHale show. <laughs> A good show. Um, Cancelled before it's time. Yeah. If you ever watched The Soup, you'll know what you're in for. Adam and I watched The Soup, like, religiously since we got together until they cancelled it. Yeah. Um, Probably an influence on us, like, talking about TV. Yeah, true. Although they don't say the extremely smart things that we say. Obviously. They show dumb clips and make (laughs) even worse jokes about them. (laughs) Basically, that's the charm of the show, is you see uh, funny clips from a lot of TV shows, mostly unintentionally funny clips. And then Joel McHale makes really mostly terrible jokes about them. Yeah. Um, just standing in front of the camera, giving them to like a studio audience of 12 people who are forced to laugh at every joke <laughs> in front of a green screen. Uh, it was great. Yeah. I wish I was going to stick around. Yeah. Uh, also, Maniac did not seem to get a lot of attention, but it was really strong. Yeah, we really liked it. I've, I'm, you know, a big fan of Michelle Gondry, have been for a long time. Did he direct it? No, but it had that Michelle Gondry feel. And and then they like literally did a nod to Michelle Gondry uh, in the show. And then you read something. I, yeah, what's the guy's name? Oh, fuck. So the show is, who are the two main characters? The actress, the actress and Well, the, the guy is, that's who you're talking about. What's his name? From Superbad and stuff. Yeah. She's from Superbad too. Yeah. Emma Stone. And then what was his name? Jonah Hill. Emma Stone and Jonah Hill. I googled about this show and it seems like it they didn't make a big deal out of this but it seems like it's based on something Jonah Hill was working on years ago because um, he in interviews talked about how much he loved Michelle Gondry and was trying to uh, he was like shopping around a script that is sounds like this show that was inspired by Michelle Gondry and that he wanted it to be a movie like that and he was chopping that around, I don't know, like 10 years ago. And it seems like now that project has become Maniac. Cool. And they didn't <laughs> they didn't credit Jonah Hill for it, but no. when he describes it, 
it's it's basically this and there are a lot of other people who wrote this show there's a great writer named Amelia Gray who's a great fiction writer who's on a lot of you know um, artsy journals writing her short stories that had a big hand in writing this show um, yeah it's just super creative super cool a super way to like visualize like basically the experience of like uh, going to therapy and overcoming trauma or some kind of major emotional upheaval in your life. Yeah. It was super strong and I felt like it didn't get the yeah. traction it deserved. Yeah. Good show. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's mostly the highlights that we could remember besides obvious stuff like The Good Place. Yeah, yeah. Also, I want to recommend Rabbit Island again. Music that I found this year that I've talked okay. about over and over. That is just incredible to me. If you like slow music... Okay, okay. If you like um, okay, music then... with a lot of texture. Yeah. Okay, I'm hungry. So we're going to wrap it up here. The last thing I'm going to recommend to you is that you do yourself a favor. If you want to make a bomb-ass chocolate chip cookie, look up the Bon Appetit chocolate chip. <laughs> what is it? Brown butter chocolate chip toffee cookies. Okay? They're delicious. They're going to change your life. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. We love you. Yeah. You can find us at Cold Pizza Party. Yeah, thanks for listening to our recommendations. This isn't a normal year-end show where anybody could listen to this and know everything we're talking about. Yeah, that's it's very true. specific to us. <laughs> so I hope that's useful. I hope that's interesting. Well, I'm not sure. We'll see. We'll find out. Okay, whatever. Anyway. <laughs> If you if you have listened, if you're joining us for the first time, you know we really appreciate you listening and we've appreciated especially all of you guys who have listened all year and um yep. yeah thanks for the people who reach out to us we like talking to you um oh yeah and you could give us recommendations you guys are cool. all of you have turned out to be really cool and yeah obviously you know they don't just yeah give us recommendations on things you want us to talk about or whatever or guests you think would be cool to have yep um or just say hi or let us know your thoughts Give us, yeah, give us TV shows to talk about. Yeah. Um, yeah, whatever. You can leave iTunes reviews if you want. Yeah, so we're at Cold Pizza Party on iTunes, SoundCloud, and on Twitter, I'm at Cold Pizza Party. Yep. Adam is at Bone Camaro. Um, yeah, leave us some reviews for the holidays, okay? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah, we love you. We hope you're having a good holiday season. We hope you have a happy and prosperous new year hope you get to kiss the person you've been wanting to kiss all year on at midnight <laughs> i i always was like really stressed about that when i was younger oh yeah yeah trying to kiss the person that i liked how did you get that in your head movies. i don't know i guess movies i'm macedonians not... make a pretty big deal out of new year like new year's always been a bigger deal in my oh, family than christmas let's go out on new year's kiss the song oh yeah I don't, i'm not sure i realized new year's kisses were a thing until i heard that song oh well there you go yeah so we'll go out on Casio Tone for the Painfully Alone, the classic. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so we love you guys so much, and we wish you all the best in the new year. Yep. And we'll be back. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Woke up with fingers crossed In a boy's bed with your pants off Light declines of coffee and toast Walked home mid-chin in last night's clothes Past the phone booth and the beauty bar The broken windows
service of your neighbor's cars Through the back door to a message from sis Asking who was your new year's kiss Yes. 